Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Becky Brown. I'm one of the associate pastors here at First United Methodist Church in Waynesville, North Carolina. You're about to listen to the sermon from worship this week. You can also watch this service online through our YouTube channel. You can just search FUMC Waynesville on YouTube or join us in person at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. every Sunday. Thanks for listening, and we hope this sermon challenges, inspires, and invigorates your faith. May God bless you. His name is Jephthah. He is from the region of Gilead, and he is the son of a woman of ill repute. That's not judgment, that's germane. It explains the course of his life. As they got older, his half-brothers disinherited him. They said, you shall not inherit anything in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and went to Tob, a city in Aram, or Syria. And various bandits and brigands and other 'er ne'er-do-wells gathered around him on raids of pillage and plunder. After a time, the Ammonites made war upon Israel. And the elders of Gilead came to Jephthah and asked him to be the commander of their army to lead their troops against the Ammonites. There is an awkward moment when Jephthah reminds them, Are you not the same people who rejected me from my own father's house? The Gilead delegation swallows hard swallows their pride, and tells him that, yes, they want him back, and that they want him to be the head, the leader of their army, and the leader over all of the people of Gilead. It's a done deal. Come with us and lead the fight. There are no conditions other than that. But full of himself, Jephthah bargains with the Gilead elders by adding a condition, a a requirement that he puts upon himself. If you bring me home again to fight and the Lord gives them over to me, then I will be your head. What the elders have proposed unconditionally, Jephthah proposes to earn. Then, to his credit, And he doesn't get much credit in the story, but I will give him this. He tries diplomacy. Jephthah sends messengers to the Ammonite king, and he hears the king's reply. It is a land issue. We won't concern ourselves with the details. It's bound up with the Israelite exodus from Egypt centuries before. And there are two sides to every story. Diplomacy fails. There will be war. And Jephthah prepares to make another bad bargain. Our sermon text began with the phrase, The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. In the book of Judges, the phrase, The Spirit of the Lord came upon this person or that person, is always the voice of the narrator. It's Bible speak. That means that there is divine sanction for the proposed action and 
a very good probability of success. But Jephthah is apparently not satisfied with that. And so he makes a vow, something that no one, human or divine, required of him or asked of him. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whoever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return victorious from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's to be offered up by me as a burnt offering. A word about vows. They're not a bad thing. Hannah vowed to consecrate her yet-to-be-conceived firstborn son to the service of the Lord. That may seem a little extreme for us, but at least the child would be doing work that glorifies God rather than being sacrificed for no purpose. We make vows, but we make them rarely and we treat them seriously. Our baptismal vows and our wedding vows involve us in our life in God. They do not impose a burden or a penalty on someone else. They commit us to God and to one another. They are for God-centered and God-ordained purposes. And though sometimes these vows may be broken, the breach is likewise treated seriously. But the vow of Jephthah served no godly purpose. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him. He needed nothing more. In her book, Texts of Terror, Phyllis Tribble says that the vow is an act of unfaithfulness. If Jephthah were truly faithful, he would trust that God's Spirit upon him is all he needs to guarantee victory over the Ammonites. She says his vow is a calculated way to try to manipulate God. Aside from being unnecessary, Jephthah makes the vow about him rather than about God. Listen to the passage again. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whoever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return victorious from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's to be offered up by me as a burnt offering. And his vow is poorly thought out, poorly worded. Hebrew is an imprecise language. And what he says literally is, the comer forth who comes out of the doors. Grammatically, the word he uses as the comer forth can cover any human being, male or female, or any animal, any creature who is capable of coming forth. Perhaps he, expect, he expected a lamb or a calf to come out first. Stables were attached to houses in those days, much like garages are attached to houses in our days. But he also knew his people's history. That was apparent in his reply to the Ammonite king. He explains in great detail to the king which tribe moved where and what caused the land dispute. He knows the history of his people. So he also must have known of Miriam 
and all the women who came from their tents dancing with tambourines to celebrate victory over Egypt. Her name is, well, we don't know her name. All we know is that she is a young girl on the cusp of marriageable age and that she is neither the first nor the last daughter whose life has been crushed by the thoughtless, thoughtless words or careless actions of her father. Jephthah's vow was neither solicited nor required by God. The irony of his bargain is tragic. There were two purposes to God's command to Abraham to take his only son Isaac up the mountain. The first was to test Abraham's obedience to God. God was placing all of God's marvels on Abraham as the person upon whom would begin an entire new people. And God needed to know that Abraham would be obedient. The second purpose, more to our point, was to show Abraham and all the people of Israel that Yahweh, the God of Israel, did not require human sacrifice. A ram in the thicket would suffice. Molech, the God of the Ammonites, is mentioned three times in the Old Testament as a God who required sacrifice of offspring. Jephthah, whose name means he opens or frees, does indeed free the people of Gilead from the God of the Ammonites who does demand human sacrifice. He frees the people to worship the God of Israel who calls such a thing an abomination. And then Jephthah commits that very same abomination with his own daughter. None of us would want to be associated with or compared to Jephthah. But there may be a teeny bit of Jephthah that lurks in each of us. It seems like we sometimes get in our own way in our devotion to God. Maybe we are not confident in or sure of the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We overthink it. What do I need to do? What can I do to impress God? and maybe other people, with my devotion and with my piety. The prophet Micah offers a simple answer. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? There is no reason to bargain with God. For one thing, your very next breath and mine are dependent upon God. We have zero bargaining power with God. And for another, that is not how we are taught to pray. The letter to the Hebrews tells us to approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. Paul says, do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And also that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 
Peter says, cast your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. God loves us, each of us, and wants only what is best for us. We do not need to bargain for what we have already received. Thanks be to God. Amen.